You're listening to The Mumbrella Cast. The Mumbrella Cast. Welcome to the Mumbrella Cast. I'm Damien Francis, and joining me this week to break down the news from media and marketing is Tim Burrows. Hello. Xander Wilson. Hey, Damo. And Olivia Crimmel. Hello. Later in the Mumbrella Cast, Callum will be chatting with media personality Clementine Ford with Izzy McGrath and Mads Catanese from the Royals about what went wrong with the government's milkshake campaign. I think that they were over anticipating what the response to the ad would be and and making it far too confusing as a result. What agencies can do to deliver messaging to younger audiences. You know, Izzy and I are on the brink of um, Gen Z, so if we are trying to target that audience, it's really important to have those voices within the creative process. And how campaigns can navigate potentially sensitive topics. I think you do, you do just need to hire people who are comfortable. Because that's otherwise, because I feel like you could almost feel in some of these campaigns that the people creating it, people paying for it, they're not comfortable having these conversations. But first, the week's topics. Apollo Global Management buys Verizon Media. The latest ad spend figures from the Standard Media Index. And more publishers strike payment deals with Google and Facebook. This week, Verizon announced the sale of Verizon Media to private equity firm Apollo Global Management. For US $5 billion, the company will go forward under the name Yahoo, with Verizon retaining a 10% stake in the company. It will be led by current Verizon Media CEO, Guru Gurupan. Olivia, what can you tell us about the deal and how does it affect the Australian outpost, which is led by Paul Sigaloff? Yes, Damien. According to Paul, uh, it'll be business as usual going forward for the Australian Verizon Media outpost. Uh, No changes to personnel, no changes to any of their initiatives going forward um, other than, of course, their name change, which Yahoo is already quite well known in the market and is what they use in most of their marketing anyhow, so nothing too um, different there going forward. They're actually launching a uh, a new consumer campaign next week uh, for Yahoo. I don't have all the details on that yet, but I'm sure it'll be something of interest for all. And other than that, they've just continued to say that uh, yeah, they're committed to the market and that they will be you know, continuing to bring additional products and services to the market as the year progresses. Let me question part of that. The Yahoo brand, is it really well known in the market? I mean, I remember back in the, the noughties, Yahoo was kind of big. Uh, is it really anymore now in Australia, at least anyway, Tim, I feel you might have an opinion on that. Look, I suppose one thing to bear in mind is, as is so often the case with these global things, Australia is quite a long way down the list in terms of strategy. Now, Yahoo obviously was a huge name um, in the US and arguably is probably a little bit more so than here. You know, I I forget which the movie was, but I remember some sort of time traveling sci fi movie in which the one message, you know, the, 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 the son in the future sent back to his dad in the past was his advice was buy Yahoo shares, which hasn't really stood the I test of time. I remember the campaigns. Do you remember the TVCs they had for, for Yahoo? And there was that, that, that sort of singing, but I'm not going to do it, but there was that singing version of, of, of Yahoo and it was all about the exclamation mark in, at the end. It was legitimately a pretty big brand in Australia, but it dropped off pretty quickly as well after the, you know, the seven – Deal, I guess, as Yahoo 7 kind of kept it in prominence a bit. 
Uh, and then that's kind of changed though. Yeah, we saw a, a, a trend where the big kind of TV and publishing houses, the big media players in Australia, recognized they didn't know enough about this newfangled thing called the digital world. So fan partnerships, which was how Nine got into bed with Microsoft for Nine MSN, Yahoo and Seven got together for Yahoo Seven. Um, and then, of course, at the same time, you had this sort of AOL kept dipping their toe in the water in Australia and then withdrawing again. Then we saw AOL and Yahoo finally brought together in ownership by Verizon. Um, God, probably only about four or five years ago, I remember going to a digital conference in New York and the then new boss of the two, Tim Armstrong, I kind of you know, got to put my hand up from the audience and ask that question of are you serious about Australia this time? Of course it was yes. And then as they always say, and then they kind of, you know, pulled back again and, you know, they sort of come and gone. And we had that brief thing, which was, I think was confusing globally, but was even more confusing here in Australia when for a while they rebadged as Oath and that lasted about 10 minutes. And then they quickly rebadged as Verizon Media. And now the, the, the group, as we understand it, will, will, will be known as Yahoo. So the, I guess just that, that, that question is how do they actually cut through and become relevant in this market when they're a relatively small team? Like, you know, why, why be in Australia at all? What are they for? It's an interesting point, though, isn't it, in terms of the name Verizon in this market as well, to be fair, wasn't huge. Huge in the US as a telco, massive, um, but not so big over here at all. Well, that's another good point about this sale is does this, is this finally the end of the kind of decade long feeling that telcos were going to become media companies, media companies were going to become telcos. You know, are we reaching the end of that point now? You know, if you look at when, Hey, when someone like Mike Sneesby actually came out of the telco world to TV, that was in theory going to be, you know, leading a bit of a, 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 a charge. But, you know, now we see Telstra seeming to pull back from their media interests. Obviously, they're out of they're, they're out of sports streaming, but staying in the partnership, you know, with Foxtel through News Corp. At the moment, they, they have that ownership of uh, 50% ownership of Foxtel. But the question is, would they ever have an appetite to sell down that, you know, let's say... Everyone, you know, always wonders whether one day Seven will somehow get in bed with Foxtel. Would that be Telstra's opportunity to exit? You know, maybe one day that would happen. But yeah, certainly it feels like we might we might be left with with potentially Optus as the last the last telco standing through their sports streaming um, that's interested in the media world, perhaps. Well, I guess to get the other side of that, live in the report you filed, you you covered off the local content that was uh, still coming out of Verizon or slash Yahoo um, and how much they were investing. What sort of uh, vibes were you getting off that? Well, at the end of last year, actually, uh, Verizon Media, soon to be Yahoo, reported that they'd had actually really strong growth over the year across their platform. Uh, They reported an 11% increase in monthly active users across their editorial brands. That was during 2020. So evidently, they still feel that there is room to continue to grow, to draw new audience or expand audience, depending on how you want to look at it. So I guess we'll just have to wait and see what comes out next. But they definitely do seem quite eager about the Australian operations. Coming up next, the team dives into the latest figures for Australian ad spend. It's 
Standard Media Index has released the latest data on Australian advertising spend and after two consecutive months of downward trending, March and April are showing growth. There's good news for digital, TV, audio and more and SMI's Managing Director Jane Ratcliffe even said we've never before seen such huge growth in ad spend and expect to be reporting record levels of growth over the next few months. Xander, big numbers and a big quote, what were the details? Yeah, so there's a few things to take away from this. Obviously, the raw numbers are looking good. There was a 2.1% increase in ad spend in Australia for the month of March. As you mentioned there, that followed two months of decline. But I guess the other side of it is it's not unexpected that we're starting to see this start of growth. This time last year, Australia was locking down. Comparing ad spend from this year to last year is something that's potentially going to be interesting and especially over the next few months when we start to see people do their financial reporting, it'll be interesting to see how they do those comparisons. Uh, As I say, back into those numbers, digital spend was up 15.6% in March um, and as part of that, programmatic rose 28%. So um, programmatic is going to be a big theme, I think, for investment and spend throughout the rest of the year. TV, as you mentioned, up 7.2%, so still plenty of strength there. And then also SMI went into the April, early April figures as well, which Jane, as you mentioned there, also called mind-boggling, with radio looking like it's going to be up 28% and outdoor transit up 39%. And their year-on-year figures, which as you alluded to before March, uh, you know, we were not quite sure how bad COVID was going to be, but definitely April and May, it got very serious very quickly. So how much information you can really glean out of those year-on-year comparisons. It's kind of up for debate at the moment. Tim, anything that took you by surprise here? Well, I suppose one thing is exactly to Sanders' point, yes, we've bounced back by 2.1% compared to last year, but this time last year, March had a 10.6% fall. So this is not a recovery to 2019 numbers by any means. This is... We've, you know, we've hit the bottom and we've just, I'm, I'm showing graphs with my hands, which I realize might not be coming across in the podcast. We have to start video recording these. <laughs> I think we will do. So, so, so imagine I'm showing the bottom of a ski slope and just starting to come out, but yeah, you, you know, you look at it. So, so yeah, TV, you know, TV did pretty, pretty well this time around, but you know, this time last year it was down, you know, it was, it was down by much more. So we're not making our way back yet, but I guess no one's that surprised by having hit bottom, apart from maybe magazines and newspapers, which which do continue to fall in absolute you know, agency numbers. Yeah, and just on that point there, Tim, I, I spoke with uh, Kieran Davis, HTE's CEO, this morning about their AGM and, and their revised results that they put out. Um, and I spoke to him about the SMI figures as well, and we were speaking about a few aspects of that. And I said, look, really, when you're looking at these figures, are you and you're looking at your own figures, are you are you really comparing year on year, or are you comparing to 2019? And he said, look, I mean, not privately, but obviously on the outside, we're going to be looking at figures year on year because that's just the way financial reporting works and it, how it has worked. But when we're looking internally, we're going to be looking at 2019 as a benchmark. Uh, so I think as journalists in this space, what we're going to be needing to do over the next few months is to continue doing what you've just done, Tim, and and not just read these numbers on face value, not read year on year, and actually look back a couple of years to see where the recovery really is. Because I guess the big number is, can TV ever become a $4 billion advertising medium again? Probably we're floating somewhere between 3.5 and 4 at the moment, but you know, 
that's a pretty good yardstick. Coming up next, Facebook and Google sign on the dotted line to pay more news publishers. This week, we saw multiple publishers, both large and small, announce deals they've negotiated with Facebook and Google for the platforms to pay for news. Leading the news was the fact that Seven West Media has turned its intentions into actual deals. Xander, you covered the news across the week. What was the latest? Yeah, so as you alluded to there, Damo, Seven West Media finalised its Google News Showcase deal this week. It'll be a five-year deal. Seven also announced a three-year deal with Facebook that's just waiting for Facebook's final sign-off. And as we know, Seven West Media had been one of the first out of the gate to sign letters of intent to have these deals in place back in February. Um, And looking across the rest of the week, we did get some more news on this front as well. Australian community media signed a letter of intent with Facebook, uh, so no no ideas yet on how long that deal will be or when it will come into place. But when it does, it will cover their over 40 mastheads, largely in regional and rural Australia. When we reported that, a smaller publisher, Times News Group, which is based in Torquay, signed a a deal with Google for its seven publications as well. Um, And and as we're mentioning all of these deals, it's probably also worth bringing up that last week, the ACCC gave authorization for Country Press Australia members to start their own bargaining processes with Google and Facebook. And that will cover their 80 strong members across over 160 regional mastheads. So that's interesting. Let me go back to the deals themselves. Uh, You mentioned ACM there, who were one of the first to bite on Google News Showcase and arguably copped a bit of flack for jumping in so early. And we mentioned as well some of the numbers that were being bandied about in terms of the value of the deals that Nine and Seven uh, had signed as as, uh, intentions. Uh, now this has been solidified for seven. Was there any uh, commentary, uh, speculation, actual uh, confirmation of the value of the deals? Yeah, so similar numbers to when the letters of intent were signed, um, you know, have floated around, but there's absolutely no confirmation of anything. There hasn't been across any of these deals as yet. And and as we know, the big player that we're still waiting to sign on the dotted line is nine, and it will be really interesting to see when they eventually get around to that. Um, I do know that there was sort of industry speak after seven signed their deal that, you know, they've jumped in too early and, you know, nine may believe they're at, at an advantage for waiting to see what the other deals are. But if they don't know what they're worth, I'm not sure to what extent that advantage really will be. Look, my, my understanding is that nine is at the I's being dotted and T's being crossed stage. Um, the, the one bit of speculation I've heard about seven and, and hey, you know, we've heard numbers banded around of maybe 35 million to 50 million for, for most of them is, is perhaps seven may structure, and this doesn't come out seven, but what, what their rivals think, um, may structure its deal in such a way that it front loads some of the revenue so that it can pay down its debt. So it'll be interesting to see. I mean, I, I was... Uh, I suppose a little bit surprised when they made the SX announcement. They didn't mention numbers because you'd have thought it would be material enough. They should give some more detail to the ASX. Well, it goes up as a price-sensitive announcement, right? And without the price. price. (laughs) Just on that, Tim, it's interesting. In my conversations with people around the market, it's actually been the fact that Facebook and Google have required that the figures not be released publicly. So that's a, a requirement of the deal. Yeah, and I, I suspect it will be one of those things. Once annual reports come out, 
if you sit down and work hard enough, you'll probably be able to work out a few clues or, um, uh, you know, at the very least you'll, you'll be able to see some sort of trend lines that give some hints. So I, I, it strikes me that in the end, the numbers will broadly come out one way or another. We also saw slightly different times, uh, on these deals in terms of the length of, of these mm-hmm. deals, uh, five and, and three, uh, I believe it was, uh, with seven on uh, Google and Facebook. Uh, Tim, did that surprise you at all that, that, that they've been structured slightly differently? Look, I guess in the end they're individual conversations, aren't they? You you do wonder how much the platforms, are, you know, I guess Google is the one that seems to be spending the more money, which is fair enough because it's the bigger, or rather obviously parent company Alphabet. I wonder how much both Google and Facebook are just thinking, well, the landscape can change at the moment. The Australian government is, you know, is super into this. They're super trying to curry favour with the major Australian media companies. So, do a deal for as short a time as possible until maybe the government has changed. Maybe the next government won't be as close, and you know, perhaps we'll have all forgotten about the news media bargaining code. So, um, you know, I, I I wonder whether that you know I'm sure they'll go as short as they can for you know relatively you know relatively short as they can for that reason but yeah i wonder what the landscape will look like next you know this might be maybe this is a medium term future uh for the for the industry in terms of their business model but certainly short term maybe medium term definitely not long term that is interesting because if you look you you're saying obviously google's a much bigger beast and therefore should pay more tim but both of them initially pledged the same amount of money to news over the course of three years, both of them came out with, you know, a billion dollars for journalism over the next three years. And and also just on the length of agreements, um, those three and five-year agreements are quite at odds with what Nine's former CEO, Hugh Marks, was telling us in that he was seeing them lasting 30, 50 or even 100 years, which I can't imagine either of those platforms signing up for anything more than a five-year agreement for that reason because the environment can change so quickly. 100 years is quite some forward-looking statement, isn't it? <laughs> Tim, you mentioned uh, before as well, hey, maybe people will forget about it eventually, which reminds me that I've forgotten to ask you on the Mumbrella cast, hey, what's the update with Mumbrella's dealings uh, with Facebook and Google? Well, funnily enough, yeah, the one of the, the, the actual challenges is, is obviously there's two, com- two streams to the conversation, I suppose. One is trying to talk to the platforms, of which, you know, the – you get polite holding messages. And of course, understandably, they have been quite busy talking to the big guys. And the other is you go through the ACMA, Australian Communications and Media Authority, to register as a uh, media organisation, as a news organisation. Um, and wow, that's bureaucratic. And wow, the website doesn't work properly. Uh, so one of the things I've been attempting to do this week is is work out if that's just us or whether anyone has successfully registered. So I... I uh, I did drop the ACMA a request for comment on that point, whether anyone has successfully registered it. As we record, um, no response yet. This was a note I sent out Wednesday afternoon. I did ask for a response by Friday morning, so we haven't got there yet because this was something I might write about in the weekend email. Um, but yeah, still a still a, a work in progress. But interesting, uh, yeah. Well, I think of it. The I was at the um, the launch event for the uh, Judith Nielsen Institute, which sort of supports journalism on Wednesday night and um, Nick Hopkins from Google was there 
and um, you know he was very much the bell of the ball. Whereas you you think of that being you know six months or a year back, people from Facebook and Google wouldn't have been quite so welcome, surrounded by the bosses of all the traditional media companies who were all very all there last night. It was a very you know high powered event with you know. Anthony Catalano and, you know, David Anderson and various people from the ABC and Greg Highwood was there, you know, you, you, you name it. And all the big weeks were there. Um, Jim Burrows. Yeah. Look, I, I, I must admit when I looked at the photos after, I thought I really, am going to have to do something about this beard. I was easily the scruffiest person in the room. You, you can't have an ISO beard <laughs> and that, anymore. And that was even with Dan Illich being in the room as well. Did- just to touch on the ACMA situation as well, worth noting that during the week the government flagged $4.2 million for them in the upcoming budget to help them enforce the news media bargaining code. So hopefully, Tim, they'll be able to use that money to um, add some resources so that they can respond to those requests from publishers such as Mumbrella. And if you're listening, Dan and Lich, because uh, we know you do like Mumbrella, uh, we do appreciate your beard as well. Coming up next, Mumbrella's Callum Jaspin talks to Clementine Ford and the Royals. The early bird discounts for Mumbrella 360 reimagined end at midnight tomorrow, May 7. Five professors, former Yellow Wiggle Greg Page, radio heavyweight Carl Sanderlands, and Australia's most trusted health commentator, Dr. Norman Swan, are among the latest speakers confirmed on the lineup. There's now more than 30 sessions announced on the program, so don't wait any longer. Book now and save $300. Go to mumbrella.com.au forward slash mumbrella360 for more information. Welcome to this week's MumbrellaCast interview. Uh, This week, I am joined by Clementine Ford, writer and feminist community builder, uh, Izzy McGrath, and Mads Katniss, creative duo from the Royals, um, an independent creative agency. Um, hello. Hello. Hi. And this week we are going to be talking about um, the video which you uh, three produced and uh, Clementine, you starred in over the last week um, in your response to the government's, uh, well now, infamous uh, milkshake video. Yes. Well, I should. This is Clementine talking, by the way. I should mm-hmm. say that I did very little no, on this video. I just all. sat in front of the camera and performed very the, well. The uh, incredibly the accolades belong all to Izzy and Mads. No, that's not yeah. true. That's but anyway. absolutely not true. But thank you. <laughs> and of course, the you know the film crew. Yes. Yes. So shall we? Um, shall we kick off? Absolutely. Um, I guess the first thing that I wanted to ask was um, everyone could. I think most people who viewed the the, the original uh, milkshake video could kind of see that it was a bit of a disaster from from the outset, from the moment it dropped. Um, what was it that um, made you guys think, uh, right, we need to be the ones to respond to this? Well, um, it actually happened quite naturally and organically. Um, so we'll just go back a couple of... Back in time. Back a week, mm. I guess, a week and a bit now. Um, we were at an event for one of our clients, Wild Secrets, and the Clementine was the lovely MC of the evening. And the event was talking about sex toys and uh, female pleasure and sort of stigmas surrounding female pleasure. But um, on the panel, which one of our colleagues, Annie, was on, um, they were speaking about the consent video that the, the government launched and how... Um, how, how other people would respond to that video. And what we found really interesting, Izzy and I, was we were in a room surrounded by 
sex positive influencers, experts, um, people who are really informed about, you know, these issues of sex and consent and even the most knowledgeable people were confused by the message that was, you know, sort of aired um, earlier in the week. So we thought um, it was a really good opportunity to clear the air um, and we've just met Clementine and we thought, you know, she'd be an amazing spokesperson to spearhead this message and we, it was just a perfect storm and all the ingredients were there for us to to form a response and because we had been working on Wild Secrets and with them for months now, we were almost primed um, yeah. and something I've been passionate about for ages. I think that's the thing. Like I think a lot of other agencies would have seen this and been like, oh, we, you know, it would be amazing to also do something in response. But ultimately we've actually been working on Wild Secrets for six months and we already had those conversations in the back of our mind. We just met Clem and we sort of, everything was at the forefront and we were already sort of primed and ready to go. Meanwhile, some other agencies who would acknowledge this is a really important thing to talk about, they would actually have to go and do that research. Meanwhile, as an agency, we were already in that headspace. So that kind yeah. of contributed to you just being able to oh, absolutely. kick off straight away. Yeah, and the Royals have been amazing. They're very open. We're a very open workplace after working on Wild Secrets for however long. Um, Some conversations I never thought I'd have oh, with my mate, boss. Not safe for work, but when it's for a client, you just got to do it. So Yeah, uh, yeah well, I was going to ask, um, obviously the, the easy thing for most agencies to do would have been to I guess, think, we'll let someone else do it. Mm. Um, what what was it about your kind of workplace that they were just so yeah. willing to just straight off the bat? Obviously, the turnaround was, I think, a couple of days. Oh, it was, yeah. I think, I think as I said, it was sort of just that we've got that background already and we've already been having these conversations and the Royals are also an incredible place where they're so willing to let the creatives but also the entire agency follow things that they're passionate about and they've done it in the past with marriage equality and refugees. So they have a track record of that. And then also the fact that Mads and I as young female creatives, they're really willing to let us have space to talk about what we're passionate about that they might not have previously considered. So that's been really positive. And I think, yeah, the turnaround was incredible and the amount of support we got, it was within hours. It was. ECD was like, yep, cool, so we've got this, 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 you just got to get Clem to agree. And she did. So that was good. And yeah. I was very happy too yes. as well. It was very exciting. Didn't to need get. it to be yeah. asked twice. No, not no. at all. I, I got, I was actually on holiday in New South Wales and I got Mads email yeah. asking me, you know, we've got this idea. It's going to be a really quick turnaround. Can you do it? Will you do it? And I was like, absolutely. And I think one of the things that we talked about at that Wild Secrets event was that, you know, agencies that have the resources and the skills and the people obviously you know, to kind of deliver a really slick product are in the perfect position to create mini campaigns like this in response to social issues that, you know, I have a lot of ideas on how to respond to these things. And obviously I've got years worth of experience in writing about them, but I don't have any of those skills and I don't have that, that reach. It would cost me a lot of money to Mm. try and make a video like this. So I felt, I think we talked about this and one of the things that I, I, really liked about the Royals taking this on was that it's kind of like the social responsibility of it, you know, that they, that an agency can say, we can make this happen and we can help people who are experts in their field get their message out there. And it can be a response to social issues that need to, you know, be used as conversation starters, which is really what it was. We weren't answering a conversation, we were starting one. And I think that 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 approach is really amazing and something that all agencies should do because it shouldn't just be focused on money and who's paying for something, mm-hmm. you know. Obviously everyone wants to get paid but 
there is there are some things that are more important than a payday. And I think the 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 kind of response is going to be a lot more natural and well intentioned when it is a when it does come up naturally as a response to something rather than you know someone comes mm. to you and says you need to you know think yeah. up something for. And also, there was no brand behind it. You know, it was just us and Clementine sort of taking on this um, topic of consent and really starting a conversation. So that makes it really easy when uh, you you have creative um, author- authority and you can really steer steer mm. the message and craft it the way um, you see it working. And in this instance, I feel like all that just really worked. So yeah. in terms of the, the video you produced, the intention was to have a response with a message that was really clear not mixed up with, uh, you know, milky metaphors, as I think you guys said. Yeah, yeah. Um, love what, a pun, love a pun. What was yeah. it about the the original, um, I don't know who wants to take this one, but uh, who, Clem, what did you think what about it missed the mark so kind of significantly? Well, without denigrating the people who made it, obviously they were working to a brief, I just feel like it was just too confusing. And one of the problems was that, you know, they were responding in an environment where they... I think that they were over anticipating what the response to the ad would be and and making it far too confusing as a result. The fact that they had cast a woman in the role of aggressor, presumably to kind of um, head off any criticisms that, oh, well, this is just a bloody attack on men. Um, the kind of like, like the excessive sort of metaphors and analogies of it. One of the things that we said when we were talking about what the script would look like was, you have to, and, and also on this panel as well, was that you have to be able to say the word sex if you're mm. talking about consent. I mean, that's a basic minimum. Let's not tie it up in confusing analogies about food. Let's just talk about sex as a conversation, talk about people coming together. That was not a pun, but it sounds like yeah. one. <laughs> <laughs> Again, um, puns, love puns. But but people understanding that at the core of sex, sex is respect and at the core of consent is also respect. Teenagers are having sex or they're watching sex or they're familiar with some kind of concept of sex. They don't need to be spoken to like they're children and they also don't need to be spoken to like they're being protected. That's, I think, what leads to the problem. So one of the reasons I think that the video was so successful was because we came out, we used the word sex, we talked about consent, we talked about it in really accessible ways for everybody. There was no gender-specific language because consent is an issue that is relevant to everybody. And I just feel like those are the things that the original video yeah. missed. And and do you think that that kind of ties into maybe a, a, a more wide industry trend where they're struggling to communicate with people of um, kind of, I guess, later millennial and Gen, Gen Z? And, and if so, why do you think that is? Well, if I can just say this, uh, speak again on this topic, I think one of the problems as well is that when you have a government ad campaign, the government, and we have a particularly conservative government at the moment, the government is always answering to different stakeholders. And, you know, one of the, the benefits that we had making this was that we didn't have anyone to answer yeah. to. There was no one who'd hired us to do it. We were just answering to ourselves. And I think in that way we were able to cut through some of the noise and be really straight up and honest. Whereas if we were, you know, a government agency that had stakeholders invested, we would have the backlash from conservative religious groups and we'd have backlash from men's rights activists. I, I don't think that... I think that the problem is that when you pay too much attention to backlash from those special interest groups when you're creating community campaigns, you actually end up creating something that is trying to be all things to all people and ends up being 
nothing to anybody. Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. And we love clients, except not in this case. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I think definitely the really fast turnaround was testament for the fact that everybody who, you know, gave their time pro bono and it, that was incredible. Yep. Shout out to everybody who really worked over the weekend and then worked on Monday for free to get it done. And all night. And all night. Yeah. Love that. That was really good. <laughs> but I think it was incredible how everyone came together because we just saw how important this was. And I think while I don't think the milkshake video was, you know, the the perfect solution in any stretch, I can also understand how challenging it would have been to get to that position with all, as you said, all those stakeholders pushing different directions and just having one clear like goal for us is really what pushed it through. Mm. Yeah, I think, I mean, obviously when you do miss the mark in, in when you try too hard to maybe, you know, appease everyone, what you can end up doing is not just kind of, missing the mark but you're actually actively turning people away absolutely what yeah. what what do you think um well in in terms of this kind of campaign brands can do to ensure that the the message is still delivered but they can also produce a product which is ultimately eye catching and is going to you know garner, garner a bit of attention i would say um in our instance we would want to be really clear and single minded on the message and i think if you do that um, as you're going to have more cut through. I also think um, acting on a moment is really important and, you know, we've been talking about consent for a long time. Yes, the, the milkshake video came out and really brought it to the forefront but we've been talking about consent for a while and we really acted on a moment and we actually leveraged that and I think, you know, it doesn't have to be the flashiest execution or the highest production value but if you've got a really strong message... Um, and you've got a, you've got an audience, you've got a platform, and you've got someone like Clem who can um, amplify it and push it out there. Then I think that's what will catch those eyeballs. Yeah. And I think um, you know being able to p- pick those moments in culture and um, really going for it. I think that's I think that's a really good way to to get people's attention. Yeah, and obviously the, there's a very kind of fine line to ensure that you do hit it while it's hot, almost. And um, I mean, can we just if we can just move to like the absolute success, I guess, that this video was. Um, I think, Clem, you said before you'd reached above 700,000 views across all the social channels. Well, actually, that's it was it's 770,000 views on Instagram, just on, oh, just my, on Instagram, just on my account, and then across all channels, just on my um. Uh, accounts, it's like 1.2 million or something. I know, it's over 1.5. Over 1.5 now. I did the maths last night. And it obviously, you know, it obviously picked up um, coverage across not just, I guess, the intended audience because in terms of Mumbrella, it was our most um, popular article of the week and I think in our, um, I think, top three or four of the month. So Wow. Well, yes, actually, we're pretty happy to hear that the likes of Jessica Rudd have retweeted and sp- mm. spoken about it. Um, and then, you know, a lot of parents have spoken about it and they've spoken about how they actually have showed this video to their children and have started the conversation within their household. And I think that's um, really great to hear that, you know, this, this people can view the content, but they're actually talking about it and continuing. They're sharing it. They're not just looking at it being, oh, that's good, and they're moving on, which I think is the benefit of Clem's audience because I feel every single person that commented on it, they would have shared it. And that's that's incredible just because your engagement people are so connected to you, which is why I feel you are such an incredibly important part of this campaign. Not to overtalk, but like genuinely I think. But I think that that's a good point is that, 
you know, we worked on it together. We had the same outlook. Mm. We weren't an agent. You weren't an agency that were like, well, we've been given a brief from someone and we have to come up with this campaign. Let's hire an actor to do it. And then you've got, you know, a bunch of people working on it who may or may not necessarily have any kind of personal view on the topic, may not have any personal insight or experience. And so a script gets written and it gets ends up being approved by a bunch of people who are not necessarily like familiar with the work of that or the language of that work. Um, whereas I think, you know, more of an emphasis on not necessarily hiring, just hiring experts, obviously people consult with experts, but you know, I wonder with the milkshake ad whether or not it was shown to any teenagers before mm. they screened it or did they just assume, well, we've had experts involved with this so it'll be fine because mm. I can't imagine that teenagers would watch that and go, yeah, that makes sense. Mm. I think that's a really important point. I think um, having people within an agency or within a team that belong to that target audience, like, you know, Izzy and I are on the brink of um, Gen Z. So if we are trying to target that audience, it's really important to have those voices within the creative process. And also in this instance, we knew um, social media was the best way to to reach, you know, lots of people with no budget. Yeah. Um, and so shooting and uh, writing scripts and coming up with the ideas that um, work on that medium is really important too. So um, that's something I think that's... Do you think that potentially there's something that not only brands but, you know, advertisers and other kind of um, stakeholders can learn in the future and t- touching on not just topics like sex but other other to- kind of, I would use the term, maybe sensitive topics that, you know, not everyone is comfortable about talking about? Well, I think maybe don't appoint people to work on it who aren't comfortable talking about it. Mm. I think that's an incredible point, which I think is why the Royals were so supportive of us is because we, we because of Wild Secrets, it's a bit awkward at the beginning, but I think we've pushed through that and we are ultimately comfortable talking about sex and consent in our workplace, obviously in a professional sense, but I think you do, you do just need to hire people who are comfortable mm-hmm. because that's otherwise, because I feel like you could almost feel in some of these campaigns that the people creating it, people paying for it, they're not comfortable having these conversations. Mm. Well, and yeah. what's interesting as well is that nothing that we talked about was... It, we talked about sex and we mentioned the word sex, but it wasn't yeah. sexually explicit. It wasn't pornographic. Absolutely, You know, you yeah. could show that ad to, uh, you know, a middle school. Yes. And, and you wouldn't get giggling teenagers. Well, I mean, they might giggle at first because mm. teenagers giggle when someone says the word sex. Yeah. But then pretty soon I think into that, it's only two minutes and 20 seconds, and pretty soon into it they'd be watching with curiosity and I think that they would go away and have conversations about it. So I feel like this kind of impulse that a lot of people have, whether or not it's an agency or whether or not it's it's an interest group or whatever, the impulse that they have to automatically render something as like somehow unacceptable for public consumption. You know, children could be watching. Well, let them watch then. Yeah. Yeah. There wasn't anything rude about it. Then mm. part of the problem is particularly when you're talking about sex but also when you're discussing any kind of sensitive sensitive topic is that there is an assumption that we need to protect people from hearing about it. And who is it that people are trying to protect from hearing about sex? The very people who are having sex without clear understandings of what consent and boundaries are. Yeah. And I think that was why also, I think that's why we jumped into it. We really wanted to make this as clear and concise as possible because by being so direct, we're actually empowering people that we're talking to to have these conversations in a clear and direct way. And I think that was our goal. We want more people talking about consent. We want more people understanding what consent is. 
And I think when you use milky metaphors, you're actually not enabling people to have those conversations. No, it actually creates murky water and um, yeah. gives people the opportunity to, you know, say they don't know where the line is or tiptoe mm, around tip-toe it. Yeah, which, absolutely. I think the thing as well with consent is one of the reasons why it was so important that we kept focusing on this just being the start of a conversation is that there are, I will say here on this podcast, there are complicated aspects to consent that are impossible to discuss in a in a PSA, you know, yeah. or in two minutes. But unless you have a good basic understanding and a good basis for com- for having those conversations and you feel comfortable having them, you'll never really be able to unpack the complexities of it. You need to be able to be comfortable in the space first before you then go to the next level and say, okay, well, what about in this scenario? How would I advocate for myself in this, in this scenario? How do we teach people how to be confident in saying no? How do we teach people the difference between porn and reality? Those, those aren't the... Those shouldn't be the first port of call, which is why I think people get so confused because they're like, yeah. oh, it's such a big topic. Let's just make it more complicated. Yeah. So that was, yeah. Just, just finally, um, so we know that the, the kind of feedback on social media has been really successful. What's the kind of, what's the feedback been in more traditional forms of media? Well, firstly, we'll say that it's been incredible how people have responded to it online and it shows really that, you know, th- by appealing to that space and, and letting people feel like they're interacting with the content, you, you can actually spread your message really, really far. I've been very interested to see the lack of response from traditional forms of media. It's difficult to know whether or not it's just a case of the news cycle. You know, the milkshake video came out a week before ours and we know that the news obviously moves on very, very quickly. Uh, a little part of me wonders whether or not it's me because I am a polarising figure according to some people. <laughs> Um, so hard to say. I was, I expected more interest, to be honest. There were certainly people who work in media who, who were sharing it and who were praising it and retweeting it, but very, very few approaches from people to talk about it, either with me or with um, Mads and Izzy. Yeah. Well. Yeah. Um, Which Mads. is disappointing, I'll say, because yes. as two young women in particular, working in, you know, for a creative agency and who spearheaded this campaign. I mean, Matt, you were the one who reached out to me and you're like 25. I think that the lack of interest in who our next up and coming creatives are, I think that's disappointing. Yeah. I mean, same, but like. (laughs) (laughs) All right. uh, Izzy, Mads, Clementine, thank you for coming on. Good to speak to you all. Thank you so much. Pleasure. And that's it for this week. But before we go, have you locked in your tickets for Mumbrella ComsCon yet? The program is complete with Poem, Medibank, Volkswagen Group Australia, Blooms the Chemist, One Green Bean, Sefiani Communications Group and many more confirmed to speak. Now is the perfect time to lock in your tickets for May 27 in Sydney. Secure your front row seats now and get your team right up to date with what matters most in the comms and PR industry. Go to mumbrella.com.au forward slash comscon for more information. That's it for this week, though. Callum, Tim, Xander and Liv, thank you so much for joining me. Thank you. Thank you, Damien.